Welcome, everything is fine. You are listening to Fork and Bullshirt, the Good Place podcast. I'm Vivian. And I'm Jason. We'll be the answer to your afterlife. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) It is a lot of pressure. I know. What are your questions? What could we possibly be the answer to? Who knows? It's up to you. Today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 9, The Answer. It was written by Dan Schofield, directed by Valeria Migliasi Collins, and it aired November 21st, 2019. Let's jump right into the recap. Michael resets Chidi, causing his multiple lives to flash before his eyes. As a child, Chidi was concerned about his parents fighting, so he prepared a lecture for them on why they shouldn't get a divorce. My lecture will take approximately 55 minutes. Let's begin, shall we? After his lecture succeeded, Chidi became convinced that every question in the universe has an answer. As an adult, Chidi's girlfriend breaks up with him for his lack of passion and his thesis advisor drops him over his emotional immaturity and his inability to focus on one topic. I'm going to go home and compose a short paper for you, arguing that I should continue working on this longer paper. Shut up! In the afterlife, Chidi asks his friends for advice. Jason tells him he needs to act on what's important. I mean, where I'm from, most things blow up eventually, so I learned that when something dope comes along, you gotta lock it down. Tahani tells him her confidence comes from failure and learning from her mistakes, and Eleanor teaches him to think for himself and trust his heart. Moments before Chidi's memory wipe, Michael admits he used the concept of soulmates to torture Chidi. He tells Chidi he believes soulmates are made, not found. If soulmates do exist, they're, they're not found. They're made. People meet, they get a good feeling, and then they get to work building a relationship. Chi realizes that as a child, his lecture didn't save his parents' marriage. It just reminded them of what they already had and convinced them to go to counseling. Chidi writes a note and gives it to Janet, instructing her to give it to him if they ever meet again. When Chidi wakes and Eleanor tells them about their situation... He's at peace with the possibility that there may be many answers to this question. Oh, well, Eleanor, this kind of thing doesn't have just one answer. There might be 800. There could be zero. Who knows? You know, the journey is the destination, right? Janet returns the note, and he reads his words. There is no answer, but Eleanor is the answer. (laughs) Sniff, sniff. (laughs) Cue the waterworks. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) okay so for this episode i kind of as vivian put it so eloquently i kind of cheated it (laughs) and i couldn't decide what i wanted to talk about so i kind of talked about everything instead of individual moments and parts so i wrote kind of a mini essay about (laughs) or a little mini thesis and chidi would be very proud of me and his professor would not be (laughs) Yes. So I'm just going to dive into my thoughts on this episode. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Oh boy. Is it me? Are that we going to so interrupt? romantic. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> this is a quote from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. There is a theory which states that if ever anyone discovers exactly what the universe is for and why it is here, it will instantly disappear and be replaced by something more bizarre and inexplicable. Hmm. There's another theory mentioned which states that this has already happened. 
So Chidi is trapped in an endless cycle of searching for the answer to his questions. Given enough information and time, he might just find out that there actually is an answer. But that's the problem. Time. Nobody has enough of it. And he learns this very early when trying to pick a seat in class. The question he asks, where do I sit? Mm -hmm. It gets solved for him. (laughs) He ran out of time. He may not like his answer, but it's the one that he got. That's also an important lesson. You might not like the answer that you come up with, so you try again with different variables and then find a new answer. Even though the question is the same, the answer will be forever changing. To quote Deep Thought from The Hitchhiker's Guide, The Giant Supercomputer, Life, the universe, and everything. There is an answer. But I will have to think about it. And Deep Thought did. He thought for seven and a half million years about the answer to life, the universe, and everything. The fun part about that is that there were some philosophers against Deep Thought finding the answer. They hated the idea of having a simple, concrete answer to life, the universe, and everything Mm -hmm. because they wanted to theorize. They wanted to squabble and ponder and discuss. (laughs) Like Chidi. Exactly. As soon as they heard the answer would take millions of years, they were fine because, I mean, that's way past their lifetime. Yeah. (laughs) Finally, Deep Thought returns with the answer seven and a half million years later. And the answer is, of course, 42. He scolds the people for not really knowing the question when they're upset with his answer. Mm. Chidi says at the end of the episode, this kind of thing doesn't have just one answer. There might be 800. There could be zero. Who knows? The journey is the destination. Mm. In this situation, the question might be, how do we solve the afterlife? Or how do we make the point system fair? Or even, should there be a point system? And this episode is telling us that there's no easy fix. Everything in Chidi's life points to that. We can't just adjust the points like Michael said. Chidi writes, there is no answer, but Eleanor is the answer. This new enlightened Chidi knows that there's no simple solution, but maybe with Eleanor at his side, it doesn't matter. They'll work on it and be together, because Eleanor is his answer. In the John Green book, Looking for Alaska, the main character, Pudge, is searching for his great perhaps, whatever that means. He doesn't actually understand what it is, but he's determined to find out. The character Alaska is looking for an answer to her own question. Damn it, how will I ever get out of this labyrinth? which is a quote from Simon Bolivar. In Looking for Alaska, both of these people are searching for answers to their own questions, and one could argue that the book answers both of these questions in a different way for each person. One question, multiple answers. I think that's why Chidi loves philosophy so much. It's because he can always argue the answer from different angles. Chidi's own answer to how will I ever get out of this labyrinth is actually clearly stated in this conversation with his professor about his thesis. I'll write myself out of this maze. At this point in his mm. life, Ch- <laughs> at this point in his life, Chidi is very much about throwing as much knowledge and sources and quotes in hopes that it makes sense. It seems very clinical, like his girlfriend Alessandra says, and his professor. Where's the heart? Where's the soul? Yeah. You can just, it's not a math problem. That's the Where's thing. the you? Exactly. Right? What's your passion? Right. So, either way, I think the answer is hope. I just don't know what the question is. Hmm. So, 
that's what I got from this episode. Okay. <laughs> Did this so this episode it sounds like it had some sort of emotional impact on you. Is that a correct assessment? I guess. I mean, they all do. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I'm not saying that uh, that they don't invoke emotion, but like maybe I, this one was special in a certain way for I you. I guess it kind of just strikes me that everybody is searching for the answer. And we just don't know what the question is. The answer mm-hmm. to our life. But what's the question? Like, how do I win at life? How do I get <laughs> more money? How do I get happy? And I think that's the main one. How do I be happy? And there's no simple solution. Yeah. There's just, I don't know, take it one day at a time. Like Michael says, if you fail, just try again tomorrow. Yeah. Do better. It's a puzzle that needs to be solved every single day, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's this labyrinth. You just follow it around every turn and in hopes that you'll get out. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, Chidi even says that... The journey is the destination. Yeah. Or the destination is the journey. Mm-hmm. Which kind of works either way. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, this is basically what Chidi had to learn in this episode. What he has needed to learn throughout this entire series is that there is no one right answer to every one question, right? And it takes him 300 years to kind of figure that out. And... <laughs> and 800 I, reboots. It's it's tough, right? It's tough because he's just been so convinced since he was a child that every problem has a solution, every question has an answer, all I need to do is find it. Mm-hmm. So I need to be smart enough and diligent enough to find it And that never brought him or anyone he was around any peace, any happiness, because he was always looking to the next thing and the next answer. And he was looking to find something, I think, that made him feel... Complete? Yeah. And it's really a lot of pressure to put on one person, like he says about Alessandra being potentially the answer. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. Yeah. And it's really just not fair. I think Chidi could have benefited a lot from therapy. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, just, I'm really glad that we got to this point with him. I'm glad that he is embracing the complexity of the universe and the un answerability of all these questions i guess just he's kind of he's kind of embracing the absurd right he understands now in if we're thinking about it in existentialist terms like he understands now the universe is absurd and i just need to make my own meaning in this universe because maybe there isn't any meaning maybe there is maybe there isn't i don't know but Mm -hmm. all i need to do right now is try to do uh what I need to do to make myself happy, to make the people around me happy, and just be. Just be. Just be. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, the GD at the very end is such a at peace GD. Like he's so zen and like, hey man, you know, it might take, you know, a couple hundred years or it might take a bunch of answers, but like whatever, we'll figure it out. Yeah. He's very go with the flow kind of GD. <laughs> I hope that they don't lean into that too much. I don't want to see him suddenly become a like surfer dude you know oh, just riding this wave bruh this wave like, of life all through the uh, loops and no. swirls of jeremy burmy man i don't want that i still want him to be cheaty i just yeah i would love to see a more confident relaxed cheaty and i think that's what we're gonna get for the next like four episodes of this show <laughs> but we got there guys we got there yes <laughs> um so I mean, you you said a lot in your little mini essay, as you call it, um, about what Chidi learned. But how did you feel about this episode overall? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, okay. I did. Um, I, as soon as I realized what type of episode it was going to be, mm-hmm. like story through flashbacks, I was okay. Yeah? Yeah. At first, I was like, oh, no, it's child Chidi. I don't want to have a whole episode dedicated to Chidi as a kid right and luckily that only lasted a couple minutes um (laughs) i just i don't i wouldn't mind that in the grand scheme of things but since we're so close to the finish line i would have felt kind of like we don't have time for this we need we have things to do we have problems to solve we have answers (laughs) to find no i agree with you i felt the same way i think that the actor for child Chidi was really good he Mm -hmm. got the mannerisms really uh down pat but I didn't want to watch him act the whole episode. I wanted to see William Jackson Harper. I wanted to see our Chidi. Right. Yeah. So Chidi's childhood, um, to me, explains something. So I did actually appreciate seeing his childhood, uh, despite not wanting to see it the entire episode. Um, because Chidi's childhood kind of reminded me of something similar in my own childhood. Um, his lecture is, to me, an example of parentification, uh, which is, I guess, a semi-fancy word, um, to say that it's a type of role reversal where the child acts as a parent to their own parents. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, you, it's not, it's not something usually that's conscious. It's not as though the parent says, oh, I'm done, I'm gonna be a kid now and my kid can take care of me kind of thing. Um, right. And in this case, it wasn't intentional. Chidi's parents were fighting while he was asleep. There was in no way were they trying to be narcissistic parents. Um, they didn't force him to take this role, but they also didn't discourage it. They praise him after the lecture. Like dad says, you know, this was well argued, better than some of my grad students. And then we see that they bring it up probably fairly often as a way of bragging about him. Mm-hmm. And Chidi doesn't really see anything wrong with that. He's proud of himself. Um, and he's, you know, he's proud and not so modest, which was interesting to see. Oh, not this story again. <laughs> Go on, tell it. Yeah. Um, but Eleanor is really the only one who notices how sad it is that Chidi couldn't just be a kid. I wonder why. Yeah. Because she can relate. Absolutely. She also missed out on her childhood, right? She had to parent herself. Mm -hmm. 
she wasn't so much doing it with her parents, but she had to do it for, for her. Um, and it, it just kind of explains some things to me because often, uh, parentified children, uh, experience anxiety and symptoms like headaches and stomach aches. Um, so I think his anxiety, it's caused by always wanting to find this answer. And I think it's kind of, for him, it's really linked with like his parents' marriage and his own stability, his own family, belonging, romantic love. It's all just kind of this tangled web that he can't untangle, I think. And yeah, I, so I appreciated seeing that because it kind of gave me a little bit more insight into why Chidi is the way that he is. So it's all his parents' fault. No, (laughs) I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that moment was significant for him. right. Right? That was the watershed moment. Yeah, it was. And we use it as that in this episode too. Like that was really important for him. And yes, somewhat damaging, but also he says, you know, hey, it led me to this life and I'm proud of what I did. And no, my parents didn't do this on purpose. Like, it's just, it's a significant moment in his life, has positive consequences and negative consequences, right? Luckily for him, Mm -hmm. he didn't have to do this his entire childhood. Yes. It had effects, lasting effects throughout his childhood, absolutely. Yeah. But Eleanor, unfortunately, likely had to do that, you know, all the time. Yeah, which is why I think it's easier for her to notice that that moment is not something positive. Like, and why she sees it that way too, right? right? She doesn't see the good things about it. She sees it as upsetting that that much weight was put on an Mm eight-year-old, just like she experienced. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels between all of our characters and their crappy childhoods. Yeah. Tahani and her sister were constantly pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. Jason and his dad. I mean, his dad wasn't much of a dad. He wasn't much of a role model, that's for sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. They've all got childhood issues. I mean, who doesn't, right? <laughs> we all kind of do. <laughs> right? I just feel like no matter how good your parents are, you don't get out of childhood unscathed. <laughs> you just so, don't. <laughs> it's not their fault. No. So maybe they should be let into the good place. No. <laughs> That's not what I'm arguing. No, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But that we should have compassion for people and where they come from yes, and absolutely. the things that they've experienced and why they may behave the way that they behave and why they've built up this kind of like armor because that's what I think Chidi's doing with all of this like in this episode we see him constantly intellectualizing his own emotions like he's distancing himself and I think that's his way of kind of coping with really tough situations like Alessandra just broke up with me And she feels like I am not passionate about anything and I'm not passionate about her. And okay, hmm, let me look at this like it's some sort of philosophical problem and I can find the answer to it. Because if I really sit and think and let myself feel the emotions that I am currently experiencing, that's going to be too hard. And I 100% get that. Like I I can (laughs) see where Chidi's coming from with this. Um, 
so I think he's he's sort of eventually realizing I need to to feel these feelings. I can't just be Mr. Professor guy about everything in my life. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not healthy. No. <laughs> very much not healthy. <laughs> Did this episode give you any sniffles or any teary eyes? A little tear or two, maybe? No. No? No. It wasn't... Uh... I think the last one to really get me would be when he's getting his memory wiped. Right. Pandemonium. Yeah. yeah. And watching the, the little slideshow with Eleanor, I think that's the last one that kind of got me in the gut. Oh, yeah. That was a hard <laughs> one. That was a very hard one. I like that we get a parallel between that episode and this episode, too. Um, not only in the little flashbacks that we get to revisit, but Eleanor's speech at the end of Pandemonium, when she's asking Janet, she's asking her for the answer. Tell me what the answer is. What is the answer to the universe, to everything? Mm -hmm. And Janet says to her, you know, there is no answer. It's not just some big computer. It's not a food processor just spitting things out. It's life isn't that simple. And isn't it? extraordinary that you found cheaty amongst all of this craziness right so which directly of course contradicts what michael says <laughs> like yeah this is janet she can tell you all the answers to everything yeah probably knowing that he couldn't choose yeah <laughs> do you think it's that moment when cheaty asks hey is there like a maybe a soulmate type thing do you think michael actually didn't think about it until that moment and as soon as Chidi said that he had the idea of hey let's do soulmates because he says come by Eleanor's place in an hour and then you can meet your soulmate mm. so maybe he needed that time to like set things in motion and <laughs> give everyone else their soulmates um I don't know maybe we did get to see a video in the first episode of the series where Michael kind of explains how the afterlife works and says that they're all going to be matched up with a soulmate. So I imagine that Michael, Michael the planner, I imagine that he came up with that before. Right. Because he knew in Chidi's file that that was something he never had on Earth. He never had what he would call a soulmate. And he always wanted to because it would be so much easier and so logical if he could just have someone who's universe approved, right? He doesn't need to think about it or have emotions about it mm. or have insecurities and doubts and fear and all of those unpleasant emotions that sometimes accompany romance. <laughs> right, of course. So, yeah. I Take the guts out of it. Take yeah. the heart out of it. Yeah. Make it very scientific and clinical and just one plus one equals soulmate. See, I am at like, I feel that you're looking at this and you're going like, I can't understand how people behave this way. I can't understand how people like think this way. Because I think you're much more of a heart guy. Like you're much more of I trust my heart. I trust my gut. Like, I don't think that you intellectualize your emotions. So I feel like maybe you have a bit of a hard time relating to like how cheaty thinks. I don't know how anybody could relate to Chidi because his situation <laughs> is so extreme. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. It's an extreme example, but. Yeah, I'm very much of like, 
you know, things are going to happen when they happen or, you know, everything will just work out. You just don't have to try too hard. Let things just fall into place. You're much more of the like, ride this wave, bruh. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> it sounds way too stressful to go think about life any other way. Whereas I understand Chidi's thought process a little bit more, not when it comes to matters of love, because I haven't always made great decisions <laughs> in that arena, um, you notwithstanding, or whatever. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I'm kind of like an in-between of that. Like, sometimes I have a hard time because I feel like, well, this is the right thing for me, Right. Like, it's supposed to be the right thing. It makes the most sense, right? So why isn't it happening? So why aren't I happy? Or why don't I feel this way? Or why don't I... This kind Mm -hmm. of thing where I I can understand the impulse to, like, intellectualize things to distance yourself (laughs) from yourself, which is a weird thing to do, but (laughs) uh, it's very common. (laughs) So it may come as a surprise to some of our listeners, but I didn't get that choked up during this episode. I don't even think I cried the first time we watched it. I was so focused on the end goal. Like, where is this episode going to end? When are we going to see the credits start popping up? (laughs) But I did get a little misty the first time. And then in subsequent times, I've cried properly. When Janet was saying goodbye to Chidi. Because Janet was suddenly teary. And that brought on a lot of emotion for me. I was like, oh, no. She's sad. She may never see her friend again. And she knows how much pain he's in right now and how much pain Eleanor must be in. And yeah, that's the moment that got me. And then she kisses him on the cheek. Yeah, it was very touching, right? Part of why I didn't get emotional during this episode the first time I watched it is because I really felt like they were hitting me over the head with this theme like a friggin' brick. It... I... I felt like I should start counting how many times they said the answer in this episode. I just wanted like a tiny little bit more subtlety. (laughs) I wanted to feel like the show was trusting me to understand what they were saying instead of having to constantly repeat it. Right. Um, Now that I've watched it, I don't even know how many times. I don't really feel that way as much anymore, but... It was a little jarring to watch it. Yeah, for you the definitely first time. notice it a lot. You're like, uh huh. I guess the question they're asking us is, do you guys know what we're talking about? Like, do you know what this episode is about? Can you guess the title? It was one <laughs> of those episodes where if you had like a drinking game where it said take a shot every single time they say the title of the episode. To quote Eleanor, woof. Yeah, you would have been slammered. <laughs> so <laughs> so now that we are nearing the end of the series, how do you feel about Chidi and Eleanor's romance? Romance! I'm actually a little concerned oh. that Chidi's feelings have changed. Oh? Not like, oh, I'm not interested in Eleanor anymore, but this new Chidi seems... I don't know. It's like he, I almost expected him to be like, oh my God, Eleanor, I'm so happy to see you. Give me a big old hug. Maybe a little smooch. I just saw hundreds of flashbacks of us being together. So that didn't happen. He was very much like, 
straight to the point. Mm. And I'm just worried that he's either going to be very different around her or just, I can't focus on a relationship with you right now because I need to save the world. Interesting. Slash afterlife. You know what I mean. (laughs) I sort of agree with you because I was expecting... Uh, a season two type of moment where he r- rushes to her and kisses her kind of out of nowhere. I was expecting that. So when he woke up and Eleanor walked over and was kind of like, all right, we need to figure out the answer to this thing. And we're just going to ignore that. I haven't seen you really properly for like the last year. It was odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a little weird. I don't think that his feelings have changed, though. I think he's just more secure about their relationship. What if this new Chidi isn't what Eleanor likes? Like he just woke up from a coma with a new personality. See, I don't th- see. I don't think he's going to be like riding the wave, <laughs> surfer bra, I calm. I know. And they're not, they only have a few episodes left. So they're not going to be like, oh, well, this relationship that we've been, you know, Tooting along for the past four seasons. Tooting along, huh? It's just going to come crumbling down because, hey, there's more important things to do, like fixing the afterlife. Relationships don't matter. They maybe still that's, matter. Maybe that's the whole point is that's that's all that matters. Yeah. Love. And what we owe to each other, right? Right. Yeah. Barf. <laughs> so I, of course, this episode made me reflect on cheating Eleanor's romance. Uh, throughout the series and led me to watch like a, more than a couple of fan videos about their love and get all emotional and um didn't you take a course in university about fan videos i did i you did that is university so weird credits. i know that's the beauty of being an English major. <laughs> I paid people money to study fan videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I watched a couple of those and I got all misty-eyed. And um, I, I was happy that this episode was... Our, our reintroduction to this romance. Because um, the, from the first episode of the series, we've we've known that Chidi has spent his life in pursuit of fundamental truths about the universe and that he always wanted to learn about them with his soulmate. And I think it's kind of nice that even though it's not the way that he expected, he is learning about that with his soulmate. Mm-hmm. It's... Not a universe-approved soulmate. It's one that he has found and made and made over and over and over again. And these are some of the truths that... And these are some of the truths that he might have never considered asking about. Mm -hmm. Right? He's looking for an answer, but he wasn't sure what the question was. Mm -hmm. And I just... I think it's really sweet. It is, and I hope they dive a bit more into it for the the remaining of the episodes. Mm -hmm. And how important this has been for him and her. Yeah. This episode encouraged me to do my own retrospective on Chidi. I actually watched a bunch of moments from season one and season two. Um, 
and think about his experience with love. Uh, So in season one, he was really disappointed when he understood that helping Eleanor meant that he was never going to have a soulmate. Um, And he confesses to her and to a couple other demons, which we didn't know at the time, um, that he's never been in love on Earth. And that's why he cares so much. Um, And we see not only in season one, but in this episode, he lacks passion for his girlfriend, Alessandra. You know, she asks them why they're together. And his answer is because it makes sense. You like Kant and I like Kant. That should absolutely never be a reason that you're in a relationship with someone. The whole Um, audience is like, oh, cheating, no. Stop. Stop. It's too late. It's already out of your mouth. Yeah. I just think that with, um, with Alessandra, with Simone, and with real Eleanor, who we now know is Vicky, um, I think that Chidi admired all of them a great deal, and he really enjoyed his time with them, but he just never gave enough of himself to fall in love. You know, you have to take that risk. You have to take that leap of faith, right? Mm. And I don't think that he ever did that. And it's nice to see that both Eleanor and Chidi had this type on Earth. Uh, you know, hot dummies for Eleanor and these really accomplished academic women for Chidi. But then neither of them fall in love before finding each other. And it's actually a trope called, I think it's true love is exceptional. So think of Paramore's song, you know, you are the only exception. And it's like, I like this type. (laughs) I only like this type. Yeah. But you're the only exception. You're the exception to the rule and you are exceptional to me. Right. So I kind of like that. It is super tropey. Right. A lot of people that watch the show, I think, can't imagine how Eleanor and Chidi would ever fall in love. And a lot of people were kind of arguing for them not falling in love in the first season. They liked when Eleanor and Chidi were just friends. And I did too. Like, I enjoyed their relationship in every shape and form it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like the whole opposites of track thing. I, I get it. It's fun. It kind of tells <laughs> you that... You can find love in the weirdest places, mm-hmm. places you just never expect. Like Eleanor would not have thought that she'd fall in love with somebody while being taught ethics. I mean, come on. <laughs> when would she ever be in an ethics class? Right? So go out of your comfort zone, do something you're scared of, you know, be bold. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the whole opposites attract trope has always been one that I like. It's a reason that I love Buffy and Spike in Buffy. It's a reason that I enjoy Chidi and Eleanor, of course. Um, You know, I love them as friends. I love them as partners in crime as much as I do not like when people say that in real life about their significant other. find it annoying. You're not robbing a bank. Be quiet. (laughs) Harley Quinn and Joker <laughs> up in here. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I like them as as this reluctant student and overeager teacher, and I like them as soulmates. I just think that there's always in every universe, there's always this great love between them, even if it's not romantic. They're always a team, and I think that they're so easy to love because they both have so much vulnerability. They're just like. 
it's just oozing out of them, right? <laughs> Eleanor ha- tries to hide hers with with humor and uh, and sass and quips and a giant wall, never letting anybody in. Yeah, and then Chidi's just has this vulnerability on display. He's just so anxious, right? Um, and part of that vulnerability is never having had a soulmate, never having been in love, and Eleanor's is never having anyone who's truly cared for her. Um, Like, I, when I was re-watching, in the first episode, Eleanor says to Chidi, do you think anyone cared that I died? And that is so heartbreaking to me. Ugh, to wonder if anyone at all cared that you were gone forever. It's just... You know, they're looking for the same thing. They're looking for love. They're looking to be cared for. And they're doing it in such different ways. And they're such different people. It's just, it's just so fun. Like, you get passion and you get reason. And when they finally get together, <laughs> boom. No, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I feel about Eleanor and Chidi. <laughs> So, Jason, what are your thoughts about the next episode? What are you hoping to see? A bottle episode where they're all sitting around a table, like a writer's room, working on a sitcom. They're all just spitballing (laughs) ideas back and forth. How do we fix this? What should we do? Do, Should we do this? No, we can't do that. Scratch that. And a lot of crumpled up pieces of paper on the floor and some in the wastebasket. Someone's always throwing them in because how else do you know how long they've been in there? Right. You, you want judge. a montage. Yeah, exactly. Someone with glasses that are askew. Yeah. And you Jason's know. on the whiteboard and he's circling like random words like pancakes, question mark, question mark. Magic Koalas, panda. Magic panda. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and, and you know, everyone's looking at the whiteboard like, hmm, really pensively. Like, yeah, those yeah. are good, good ideas. Hmm, yeah. yeah, we should consider this. <laughs> Spatula city. <laughs> He's got something here. He's got something. So you want a 22-minute montage. Yes. Where we get nothing. It's a bold idea. (laughs) Ooh. But I think The Good Place will deliver. Right. A lot of fans will go, so when is this ending? And then it doesn't. That's the twist. (laughs) It doesn't. Um, (laughs) I... (laughs) I expected this episode to get further along in the story than it did well yeah i mean technically we got what like 30 seconds of our characters yep (laughs) (laughs) it was all internal so we're in the exact same situation as we were last week um i when i first watched it i thought right away maybe chidi's note is something more important Maybe it's not just about him and how Eleanor is his answer. Maybe Eleanor is the answer. Like, maybe something about her is going to lead them to figuring out how to save humanity. I don't know if it's going to be this medium place that everybody uh, has been talking about for four seasons. I'm not sure, but I feel like she is just absolutely central. So kind of like... Dawn in season five of Buffy. She's the sure. key. She's the key. Yeah. She's the answer. Yeah. I like that. I, yeah. I, She's been told that's a few my times. theory. That's my theory. I'm going on that. It's on the record. 
done. <laughs> Michael even told Eleanor that it has to be her, right? Like, it has to be... It has to be her that figures all this out. It has to be her that runs the neighborhood. She's always been the secret weapon, in a sense. Like, she's always been the magic ingredient, the whatever, that kind of thing. The unexpected as well. Like, Michael, she keeps doing things that Michael never expected. Yeah. So. So I think that she is going to figure something out. Or that something about her life is going to inspire the solution to this problem. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that, like, we only see the judge for a second in this episode. And in the previous episode, we were saying, you know, okay, the judge canceling Earth is a bit, is a bit much, you know, it's quite the overhaul. Mm-hmm. Um, and it struck me that the judge, her problem is that she lacks empathy, right? She says it herself, like, she removes herself from humanity right? because she wants to stay objective. But the thing is, we can't have logic without emotion. That's not how the world works. So I'm wondering if Chidi is going to be able to help her understand... That she needs to have both. Right. And that they need to work together. Especially since she's always had a thing for Chidi. So maybe she'll (laughs) listen to him. Absolutely. If she's not too distracted by his cute butt. He'll just have to face her head on. His butt won't get in the way. (laughs) I think that's a good point. That he would definitely need to talk to the judge. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she's... Way more likely to listen to him than anybody else. Yeah. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm excited and I'm sad and I'm nervous. We only have a few episodes left and this is so huge. And one of our episodes is called Patty. So I assume we're going to be seeing Patricia, which is Donna Shellstrop's stepdaughter. And I mean, I guess Earth won't be canceled maybe unless we spend the next four episodes in the judge's chamber because one of them is a montage like you said (laughs) wait 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 scratch that all four of them are montages wow every week you go maybe the montage is going to be over and then the twist is it's not (laughs) exactly love it love it and we get to see Chidi's thesis in this episode too and I wonder if that's gonna come into play at all I don't know who we are and who we are not and then the giant subtitles of that maybe but I kind of doubt it (laughs) um one last thing that I liked about this episode were all the callbacks did you notice all of them I'm not sure if I noticed all of them. I noticed a few, absolutely. Okay, what were some of the ones you did notice? The fork in the garbage disposal. Yep. <laughs> the the red cowboy boots, obviously. Yes. It was kind of hard to miss. Whenever they're in the scene, they take up the entire shot. <laughs> but he's pulling them off. He is not. <laughs> he's pulling them off! Sorry, Ted. Not. <laughs> um... We also just get, like, characters returning. We get Alessandra and Uzo. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the other callbacks that I noticed was the Eminem peep chili that Michael brings up, which was was fun. So that was good. Very cute. 
Mm-hmm. One of the things I really liked about this episode was the in the professor's office, all of the coffee cups. Oh my! There were so many. I, there were sixteen visible. Oh my goodness! So there were sixteen visible coffee cups, and I want to believe that the professor needed all that coffee in order to get through the thesis. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then the other part of me is like, there's no way he read the entire thing. In one go? I'd get no. through like 20 pages and realize, no, this is drivel. Like, <laughs> this is just saying the same thing over and over again. But then this and this and this. But at the, on the other hand, this and this and this. But on the other other hand, this and this and this. But the exact opposite might be true. Because guess what? I don't feel passionately about any of these things. And I'm not going to argue one way or the other. Yeah. Because I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> also on the coffee cups, on some of the coffee cups, the title of their coffee shop was visible. Oh it was very God. hard to read, but we cream from a land down under. <laughs> wow! Really? They put in that much <laughs> they effort? They put in that much effort. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> and one last thing. When... When Chidi asks to have his note from Janet, mm-hmm. and Janet says, you know, you wrote the note, you know what's on it. And Chidi says, I do. He mm-hmm. says it very Janet-like. And I really like the way he oh. says it. It's just okay. the way that she would respond to a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was nice. I like that he said, I think it's some of the best writing I've ever done because it's concise and it is emotional for him. And it's about Eleanor. Oh. I mean, that's why it's emotional. Yeah, I get it. You know, I also would have been happy if he had unfolded it and it was just a giant fan fiction about him and Eleanor and how they live forever <laughs> together in blissful romance and love. And yeah, it would have been great. I think that would have been fine. And there are just some cameos of Janet and Jason and Dahani and... Oh, oh, and I keep saying, okay, so I keep saying another thing, but another thing is I loved Chidi's fake soulmate, the, like, super goth one. She was hilarious. I need to go tend to my ravens. (laughs) These trivialities demean me, you know, and and blood and, you know, the passage of time. Ennui. It means birthday parties. And how she spends all of her time in her aviary with her ravens. and it's, Sleeps in a nest. And it's sexually charged. <laughs> I like it. I think it's very funny. Yes. I would have liked to have actually seen that character in the show. But uh, <laughs> it might have been too much of a tell that it wasn't the good place. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people online were saying that when Chidi unfolded his no, Eleanor was able to read the note. Through his glasses, like she was cheating in charades, and yeah, eh, it seems like a stretch, and I doesn't really do anything for me. I don't really feel like that's true. Nah, I don't think so either. I don't buy it. Yeah, no, I don't buy it. I think that she just sees how sweetly he looks at her, and she knows that he... everything's gonna be okay. Yeah, because that's what love is, man. Looking at the person you love and knowing everything is going to be okay. At least that's what it is to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it means. Aww. So let's get to our mail. 
and I will always love me. Yeah. <laughs> will always love me. <laughs> Whitney Houston, I am not. <laughs> we got an email from Amy this week. Amy says, I was thinking about the judge canceling the earth, and I saw it as she'd just snap everyone or everything out of existence. But Vivian interpreted it like the judge is going to kill everyone. If the latter, it definitely drives home the point about how aloof the judge is from people. But if everyone is literally killed, do they all go to the bad place? I suppose the bad place is infinite, but still, seven billion souls showing up at once seems like a lot. Yeah, I'm assuming there'd be a bit of a backlog. If we think of the system as sort of a government agency type of thing, then yeah, there's going to be a little delay with 7 billion souls coming in. (laughs) So maybe we could just reverse time. We just jump back to the beginning instead Mm. of getting rid of everything and starting fresh. Like she says, maybe in reality, she would just jump back. But then what would happen to all those souls? I think that regardless of how you think she is going to cancel the earth, those people are dying. Mm -hmm. If that means she's wiping them out of existence, she's still killing them. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. I'm not saying that everyone is suddenly going to drop dead of a mass heart attack, right? Right. Um, But erasing someone's existence is killing them in my mind. Right. So that's more so how I meant it. Um, but if if we think about the soul as like almost a separate thing and the soul is what goes to the afterlife, then does wiping everyone out of existence mean that soul has to go somewhere? Or if we rewind things, does the soul just cease to exist? Right. There's a lot of yeah. <laughs> logistics that we would yeah. have to... Yeah, it's more complicated than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amy goes on to say, I assume that our heroes will eventually come up with a way to circumvent that fate. If so, would everyone in the bad place have a chance to redeem themselves? If the afterlife becomes a place where you can get into the good place from some sort of purgatory, purgatory would have to have equal resources for everyone, based on Michael's theory that people who are supported can improve. Once dead and free of physical and material wants, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, people are free to self-actualize, which unlocks the good place for those who put in the effort. Yeah. I wonder if that's the route we're going to go. Like everyone on Earth that gets, to quote the Avengers, everyone that gets blipped. Right. Do they all suddenly go into a bunch of different classrooms? So we've got, like, a class of a million people being taught by one person to be better. Give them a chance to get into a good place. Or, like, how is this going to happen? Yeah. Where are they going to find the professors? Are they going to multiply Chidi a bunch of times? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amy goes on to say, On Earth, many of humanity's issues stem from resource inequality. If Judge Jen equalized resources on Earth, that would simplify things there, allowing everyone an equal playing field. But that doesn't take into account human nature and free will. Mm -hmm, Someone would get greedy and start taking or hoarding things and drive things back the other way. Well, when you think about it, sorry to interrupt, but um, that's how the planet started. There were equal resources for everybody. Oh, yeah. 
but people got greedy. People decided, hey, let's start farming. Hey, I'm doing all the work farming. Maybe I shouldn't give all this food away for free. And then it spiraled. Yeah. <laughs> and we all started using each other and getting violent. And yeah, yep, yep. It, it got bad. <laughs> um, it's just hard to imagine this world where everyone is on equal, like an equal playing field. I just don't think that the world we have now can suddenly change to be that. Right. Yeah. Oh, very difficult. <laughs> um, because then you have things like mental illness, uh, disease that comes naturally, birth defects, like all these things which don't equalize everybody. Yeah. Some people are, you know, born with four arms. That's two extra arms. They can do more. <laughs> That's amazing. They can do double the work. <laughs> it's, uh, it's tough. I don't think that, I don't think that they're going to change Earth as it is. Because I think that the show is trying to make some sort of commentary on, like, what the afterlife should be like and how Earth should be. But I don't think that they're going to change Earth in the show drastically to make everyone equal. Mm-hmm. Um... Because I just don't think you can make everyone equal in everyone else's eyes, right? You could give everyone the exact same resources and make sure everyone is on an evil, even playing field as far as, like, physical capability, mental capability, education, all these things. But people, smart people, have prejudices, right? And... Everyone brings to their life their own experiences and their own thoughts and feelings, and not all of them are great. Mm. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think an equal playing field is kind of a thing that we're going to have. So, so basically, do you feel like they're going to need to show us something that would be realistic for us on Earth to do right now? Yeah. I think so. it's going to have to be a little bit more realistic than that. Yeah. But I think that's sort of what Jen is thinking of. Like, she's spent so little time with human beings and she's distanced herself so much that maybe in her mind she thinks, oh, well, I can just level out the playing field and we can start all over again and the point system will somehow be able to keep up with the rapid growth of the universe and the ever-changing consequences and all that stuff when, eh, doubtful? She's as naive as Michael if she thinks that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amy says, I like the idea of a purgatory where everyone has the same chance to improve, though improving in the afterlife is different than improving in real life. It would be purely focused on how people treat each other. A true good place implies no conflict in that case. Though... Then would John be bored? Anyway, I think it's fun to think about it if you suspend disbelief to a point. Kind of like time travel, where it all unravels if you think too hard. Thanks again for your podcast. You take that back. Time travel is perfect. And it is <laughs> never flawed. <laughs> and it's never messy when you think a little too hard about it. <laughs> Absolutely not. It always we, makes sense. Always. We never think too hard on this podcast. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I am... 
a little worried now that we're getting closer to the end. I'm a little worried. I'm really hoping that the finale lives up to the hype that I've built for it in my mind for the last four years. We'll have to wait for the finale before we get our good place tattoos. Ooh, yeah. What are you getting? A cactus on my butt. Ooh, I like it. I think I'm no, gonna... it's got to be a cactus on my hand, like Aww. on the palm of my hand. So people can always ask me, is that Eleanor's file? And I'll say, yes. <laughs> and then I'll open my hand and it will be a cactus. I'll just get, I'll just get the like typical white girl, like tattoo of like Jeremy on one hand and then bear me on the other. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no offense if you have. Jeremy tattoos. <laughs> no, but like wrist tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the like infinity. <gasps> I'll get the infinity sign and then I'll get Jeremy Bury Me written into it. Yeah. Or I'll make Jeremy Bury Me into the infinity sign. There we go. And if the Done. show sucks at the end, then we won't do any of that. No, it's going to be great. Shut okay. up. <laughs> We're not going to have another How no, I Met Your I'm Mother not, situation. I'm, I'm not getting a tattoo. And not, not another Dexter situation. <laughs> it's going to be great. I don't think they could Dexter the show, okay? That was like... <laughs> yeah, you know. I'm not even going to go into that. But I That's was That's a whole other podcast discussion. So, yes. <laughs> Thank you for your email, Amy. Much appreciated. So The Good Place is now on a break until Thursday, January 9th, 2020. That's weird to say. I know. 2020 insane in the meantime we welcome you to check out our other podcast which has just made a return uh burger of the week it's our bob's burgers podcast so if you love puns as much as we love puns and you love the amazing belcher family go and listen to that hang out with us there we're much less serious so enjoy that (laughs) this has been fork and bullshit a multiverse radio production If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and spread the word. Tell your family, your friends, retweet our posts, give a note to your Janet. We're almost at the finish line and there's only five more episodes left. If you want to join the conversation, we're on Twitter at Multiverse Radio and Facebook at Multiverse Radio Podcast. You can use the hashtag FBullshirt and you can email us directly at info at multiverseradio.ca. Thanks for listening. I'm Vivian. And I'm Jason. Bye. Bye.